We are going to talk about the church of Smyrna this morning. So let's begin, if you would look at with me, please, at verse 8 of Revelation chapter 2. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. They say they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. They are the seed of the serpent. You with me here? Verse 10, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, we, you need to take, we need to take this to heart. And as I go through these churches, I'm going to show you that the writings to these churches are not just historical writings, but they are connected with his parousia, his second coming. Okay, or basically the rapture of the church at the end of the tribulation period. So the warning that is given to these churches is given to you. Not just some historical church in the past. These are churches that are connected with his parousia, his second coming. So we, this message is for us today. So when he says this, when he talks about in verse, uh, let me back up here just a minute. In verse 10, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. That could very well be us. Amen. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. See? It's not once saved, always saved. It's be thou faithful unto death. I will give thee a crown of life. See that? How many believe the word of the Lord today? He said, if you're faithful unto death, I'll give you a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. And notice, of course, Revelation 20 tells us that the second death is the lake of fire. So you have to overcome in order not to be hurt of the second death. It's not just this, you know, well, whatever kind of thing. It's, it's a faithfulness unto death. It's, a, it's an overcoming walk that you have to have. Amen. Especially in the light of a persecution that the church may go through. Hallelujah. Ooh, we're going to have a time this morning. And we're, so we're going to talk about this second church here, Smyrna, the suffering church, the persecuted church. And we're going to look at how sevens throughout the scripture lay over on this particular passage of scripture. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you right now for your spirit. I pray that you would anoint me, O oh God. I pray quicken into my spirit your awesome word today. We give you praise for the opportunity to declare it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let's look at the, uh, the scripture itself concerning Smyrna. Of course, you know you'll be familiar with the word myrrh. Myrrh is inside of the word Smyrna. It's connected. It's what is used with embalming fluid. Em embalming fluid in those days. And so 
It has to do with persecution and death. Now notice he says uh, to Smyrna, unto the angel of the church in Smyrna writing. So he's writing it to the minister of that church or the messenger of that church. He said, these things saith the first and the last. So now the Lord is showing some aspect of himself to this church that will encourage them, that will help them in their particular difficulty. And in that day, it was persecution. In our day, it could be persecution. And so the Lord says, this is who I am to a persecuted people. He says, I, and I'm glad that anything he tells us is how he can get the job done for us. So he says that he is the first and the last, which was dead, but he is what? Alive. Then he says, he says I, to this church, he said, I know thy works. And tribulation and poverty. There is not one thing the Lord speaks to this church about by way of correction. Because most of the time when the church is going through persecution, the true church is going to be there. And everything that's false has been taken out anyway of the house. Only real people stand and stay when there's persecution. And the professors of faith do not stand in a time of persecution. And so there is no need for the Lord to correct this church because all that's left is the church. <laughs> See, not everybody's going to heaven. Amen. I, I, I would love for that to be the case, but it's not. But he says to this church, he said, I know your work. He said, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know what you're going through. I know how the pressure is, the, the persecution you're going through, how difficult that is. And he says, but thou art rich. You're, you're poverty stricken in the area of the material. And you're going through great persecution, but you are rich in him. You are rich spiritually. And, of course, the reason why they have become poverty-stricken is because of their faith in Christ. See, in those days, in the days when we had a literal church of Smyrna, when you got baptized in Jesus' name, oftentimes you walked out of the baptismal tank to your death. And you knew that once you were baptized that your death was waiting for you. They would come and get you and take you into the amphitheaters and feed you to the lions. And you knew that. Okay. And uh, oftentimes if they didn't kill you, you lost your job. Because you couldn't wa worship the pagan deities that would be associated with that job. You couldn't call Caesar Lord. So you often lost your job. Many people starved to death for their faith. If they didn't die by persecution being fed to the lions so the lord says i know your poverty he said but you're rich because you're walking with me amen he says tribulation poverty but thou art rich and i know the blasphemy the blasphemy of them which say they are jews and are not but are of the synagogue of satan so this church has division in it you with me here there's no correction to the church, but there is a warning about those false people, false teachers, which say they are Jews and are not. Are you with me here? They are professors, but they are not possessors. Okay. So there's division. This church 
has division in it. Now, you need to get that, okay? Because that's going to be a very key thing for us. Division. Let's talk about who are these people that say they are Jews and are not. You ready for this? Okay. Number one, some people interpret this to be replacement theology. That the church claims to have replaced Israel. And so in a sense, they call themselves Jews. Okay. We are spiritual Jews in this sense. We are the seed of Abraham. And we are spiritual Jews because a Jew uh, from the tribe of Judah was a worshiper. So to be a true Jew, you have to be a worshiper of God in spirit and in truth. Now, I'm going to prove it to you, okay? But that does not mean that the church has replaced Israel, that God is, has no longer any purpose for Israel. What is happening here is that the Jewish people and the Gentile people come into the same body, the church. So it's, the circle has gotten larger. Okay? But the church has not replaced Israel. God still has a purpose for them. He wants, he's going to save Israel in the future. Do you understand that? So when it says here, uh, the Lord's talking about those who commit blasphemy, who say they are Jews and are not, it could be that a church system that says we have replaced Israel and they're calling themselves Jewish, okay? One possibility. That's the way it's been interpreted by Jewish Christians. Number two possibility is we go back to the sect of the Nicolaitans that we talked about last week. They were Samaritans, are you with me here, who believed in Babylonianism or Babylonian worship and mixed into Christianity paganism. And we found that to be the universal church or the Catholic church. And we found out the roots where it came from. It came from Simon Magus of Acts chapter 8. He was a Samaritan soothsayer who wanted to be an apostle, claimed to be an apostle, but he was a false apostle, went over to Rome and the, the church there was established, okay? I'm not going to reteach that. But it could be that these people who say they are Jews and are not is a lot like the Samaritans who called themselves the seed of Abraham. Okay, you with me here? But they were not the seed of Abraham. They were Gentiles. Praise God. Y'all with me here? But number three, when you study history, uh, and by the way, the book of Galatians Paul had seven epistles, church epistles, and there are seven letters to the seven churches of Asia here, and so those epistles overlay. The book of Galatians deals with the same problem that the second church does. So I believe that Galatians overlays this Smyrna church. Now, when you study history, uh, I've got a book on the book of Galatians, and <clears throat> this particular writer states... That in those days, the days of Jesus, there were two schools of thought. Two main rabbis. One was Shammai or Shammai and one was Hillel. Now, the people who followed the, the teaching of Shammai or the house of Shammai, they believed this. They believed that you had to become a Jew... Before you could enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, you with me here? That no Gentile 
could ever come into the kingdom of God without first becoming a Jew. You with me here? And they also were the chief antagonist or chief battles for Jesus. When Jesus battled against the religious sects of his day, the group within the Pharisee sect that were in the house of Shammai were the ones that battled Jesus the most. And very few people from Shammai school followed Jesus. Most of the people who followed Jesus, Jewish people who followed Jesus, was from the school of Hillel. All right, you with me? And Jesus' teachings in the New Testament uh, most parallel the teachings of Hillel. He believed that a Gentile, they believed that Gentiles could come into the kingdom of God. And they, many of them, followed Jesus. And so the school of Shammai, the first school, of course, both of these men are contemporary with Jesus in his life. The first school, Shammai, was known in those days as the synagogue of Satan. They were literally called the synagogue of Satan. Okay, and that's in this uh, commentary on the book of Galatians that I have, all right? So that's the third possibility. But the one I'm going to focus on this morning is natural earthly seed versus spiritual heavenly seed. Because just because you are a natural Jew does not make you a true Jew. And I'm going to prove it to you by the word of the Lord. And not only does you being a natural Jew not make you a true Jew. See, you have to, you, you, your temple, your body has to be filled with the Spirit of God in order for you to be a true Jew. If your body is not full of the Spirit of God, then you're not a true Jew. You're not a true worshiper of God. Okay? And so, there's natural Israel and then there's uh, the natural Jews and then there's spiritual. The spiritual seed of Abraham. Okay. Having said that, you have the same thing in the church world today. You got professing Christians who say they are Christians but are not. Because they have never been born again of the water and the spirit. They go and they sit in churches and they, they go to denominal systems. But because they have never been born spiritually, they are not saved. They say they are, but they are not. And so there's a division between here the natural seed of men, the earthly seed, and the spiritual seed or the heavenly seed. Okay? Now let me try to establish this if I could for you. Let's go to the word of the Lord. Let's look at the book of Galatians since I believe that Galatians parallels this church because it had the same problems in it. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 15. We who are Jews by nature 
and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. So there is a natural Jew. You see what I'm saying? You are descendant naturally of Abraham. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. That we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh, no flesh, natural Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter what race you are, no flesh shall be justified by the works of the law. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, as therefore Christ the minister of sin, God forbid. Okay, go to chapter 3 of Galatians and verse 4. Let's, talk, let's start with verse three, 13. Uh, 3, 13. Christ hath redeemed us. Say, Christ is my redemption. From the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the blessing of Abraham is the Holy Ghost. That is the blessing of Abraham. So when you got filled with the Holy Ghost, you became the seed of Abraham because you got the promise of Abraham. You with me here? Now let's go to Romans. I'm going to prove to you that the natural Jew is not a true Jew. In Romans 2. Amen. Romans chapter 2 and verse 28. Remember in Revelation, Jesus said to that church, he said, they are those, they're blaspheming. They say they are Jews, but are not. It could be one of the first three I talked about, but let's look at this fourth one, because to me it's the most important for us. He says in verse 28 of Romans 2, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. Whose praise is not of men but of God. So a true Jew is not a man who has a natural descent to Abraham. A true Jew who is somebody who's been circumcised in the spirit. And a true Jew is one inwardly, not outwardly. You with me here? So you can say you're a Jew physically, that you have your connection with Abraham naturally. But just because you have the natural father Abraham doesn't make you a true Jew according to the word of the Lord. Amen. And we have a, a real good example of this in Luke chapter 16. Where we have a rich man who died and went to hell. And he was a natural Jew. His father, he was connected naturally to Abraham. But he was lost. 
Because when he went to hell, he lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham, uh, or he saw Lazarus, who also died, afar off in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to me. Uh, let him dip his finger in water and let him put that water on my tongue for I am tormented in these flames and he called him father Abraham so just because you're a natural Jew doesn't mean you're saved that man was connected naturally to Abraham but because he was only the earthly seed he found himself in hell asking for the water the water it's the spirit that he needed he needed the living water is what he needed not his natural descent to Abraham and that I want you to know there is blasphemy today in the world because there are people who have natural descent to Abraham and praise God for them we need to pray for them and we are not anti-semitic in any any form at all but I am trying to explode, expose the false things here that walk around. And because they are naturally connected to Abraham, they think that they're automatically saved. You can't get to God except through Jesus Christ. And you're not even through a, uh, a true Jew without the Savior. Jesus is the one that gets you. And by the way, the great goal fixed there. Where the Bible says that the rich man was in hell. He lifted up his eyes and saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom afar off. Well, Abraham made this statement. He said, Lazarus can't go to you and give you water. Nor can you come to Lazarus. You're in torment. He's in paradise. Catch it. He's in paradise. He's in the garden of God. He's in the place of blessing. He's saved. Lazarus is. But you are in torment. And you can't get to him and he can't get to you because there is a great gulf fixed. It's an impassable chasm that separates the two. Division is seen there. You with me? And the word there, gulf, is a medical term which means a gaping womb. And so God's trying to show you that the only way into the covenant of Abraham is by the gaping womb of Calvary. It's by the finished work of the cross. And that's the only way into Abraham's bosom or the paradise of God. And that's the only way the gulf can be brought together is by the gaping womb of Calvary, the finished work. It is not because you are a natural descendant of any nation. God loves all people. He loves the Jewish people, natural Jews. He loves Gentiles from all races of people. But it's the gaping womb of the cross, the finished work that gets you in the covenant, the covenant of Abraham. Because the promise of Abraham is the Spirit of God. And so the man that had natural connection, naturally a Jew but not a true Jew, wanted water. He, wanted, he knew he needed, and I'm sure that is literal water. When you're in hell, you won't let her water. Don't go to sleep on me. You won't let her water if you're in hell. But I believe that there's a, a, a teaching there because of the word gaping wound there that leads you back to uh, the finished work of the cross that shows you how to get in the kingdom of God and be a true Jew. 
So we have examples in the Word of God who people uh, were natural Jewish people who were not saved. They're lost because it's only by the blood of Jesus. And the same thing today is you got churches full of people all over America and all over the world today who say they're Christians, but they're, they're in hell. Not physically right now, but spiritually. Because you can't go to hell except hell is in you. And you can never go to heaven if heaven is not in you. But if heaven's inside of you and you've got the Spirit of God in you, you will be in heaven. But if you've got hell in you, you're going to end up in hell. So don't play games uh, with God because it's serious. Now does that help you? So there's division. Now, let's see what the Lord says um, to this church, okay? It's connected with hell, what he says. Behold, I will cast, uh, whoops, wrong way, I'm way ahead of myself. He says this, he says, I am the first and the last which was dead and alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them that say they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. They are his sowing in the earth. They are the earthly seed. They are the serpent of the, uh, the seed of the serpent, not the seed of Abraham, spiritually, not the seed of God, spiritually, okay? Now, okay, say, say with me, synagogue of Satan. He says, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Revelation 20 verse 14 says, the second death is the lake of fire. You'll be like Lazarus. You won't be hurt by the second death. You won't be in hell. But you've got to overcome. And you've got to be faithful unto death. All right? You hearing what, I'm, what we're trying to preach to you today? Very, very important for us to get this. Especially if we start going through persecution. It talks about faithfulness. Which means to me that if there is not faithfulness then the only thing that's left is being hurt by the second death. Okay? Professors are not going to make it. Only people who have a real walk with the Lord. Amen? And who have an understanding of the finished work of the cross. Those people are going to make it. Now, this is what church number? What number is it? Number two. So, and we're talking, these are seven churches, right? Okay. So let's talk about the second kingdom parable, and let's see how, how it teaches what Jesus is saying to this church. Go to Matthew 13. Okay? You have seven kingdom parables. You have seven churches. You have seven Pauline epistles to the church. You have seven days in creation. You have seven feasts. You have seven historical periods in time. And they all lay down on top of this one chapter. Okay? Okay, so let's look at the second parable then. Y'all are quiet this morning on me. Matthew 13. Now, I'm looking at the new creation of God 
in the realm of the earth. I'm looking at the kingdom of God. When I say I'm looking at, I'm, lo I'm talking about the church. For you are the spiritual kingdom of God in the earth realm. Okay? You are the new creation in the earth realm. You are the spiritual seed of God in the earth realm. Matthew 13, second parable. We talked about the sower last week. And we talked about how that paralleled with the first church. And it's, what, it, what did it pick? Paradise. It picked, pictured the growing of a garden. So that you are the garden of God. Okay? And it's connected with a harvest. Now Matthew 13. Let me give you the verse. It's verse 24. This is the second parable. Okay, I can see we're in a teaching mode this morning. Please have your Bibles turned to that so you can read along with me so you don't think I'm making up what I'm reading. Okay. Another parable put he forth unto them saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now the kingdom of heaven, hello, kingdom of heaven. Why do you have this phrase here different in other parts of the Bible you have here in Matthew the kingdom of heaven other places called the kingdom of God well because Matthew is primarily written to Jewish people and because of their reverence for, for the name of God then they they don't use that they don't say kingdom of God they say kingdom of heaven you know because you're talking to a Jew, a Jewish audience so it, it depends on what audience you're talking about and what's interesting to me is there are they that say they're Jews and are not and this gospel of Matthew is written to a Jewish people and it's, it's concerning the kingdom of heaven and it's called kingdom of heaven there and not kingdom of God because they you, you have to uh, you know you have to fit into the audience you're speaking to So it's the, realm of, it's the realm of God's rulership. And I'm looking at you today. In, in the Old Testament, it was Israel. Today in the New Testament, it primarily operates in and through the church. Giving you that background, he says then, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. So we have the garden of God picture again, right? The sowing forth of the good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So now what we have is, we have the enemy is revealed. And we also understand that the whole world is not going to be saved. Because we have the true seed, the spiritual heavenly seed, sowed by God in the earth realm. But at the same time, the enemy has gone out and he's sowing his seed in the earth realm. And they're called tares. Now, the tares don't change the wheat. They just set among the wheat. You with me? The seed of earth doesn't change the seed of heaven, the spiritual seed, but the seed of the earthly comes and sets among the spiritual seed of God in the church. Are you with me here? And so God is revealing something very powerful to you. 
He reveals the enemy and he reveals this age, what it's going to be like. The division that's going to be there. Of the spiritual seed and the earthly seed. You got it? You see the parallels over there with that first, that second church. Okay. He says this, that that one goes forth and sows seed in the field, good seed. But while men slept, they slept. While men slept, I take that to mean uh, the true men of God. I take that to mean the true church of God. Fell asleep, got carnal. <clears throat> fell asleep spiritually. Fell asleep in their relationship. And didn't fulfill their responsibility in the earth realm to see God's kingdom established. And so while men slept, I don't want to go to sleep. The Bible says, but while they slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So you've got the tares and you got the wheat here. You got the enemy and the good sower. You got the bad seed and the good seed. And they're all sitting together in the church. And he's trying to show you that everybody that's in the church is not of the church. Everybody who claims to or professes to be of the church is really not of the church. They are a natural earthly seed or they are a true spiritual seed. And God's going to have a harvest at the end of the age. And I'm going to explain to you what the end of the age means. Okay, watch this. Okay, so the enemy has come in. He sowed his tares. Now, what are tares? Tares in the, that agriculture part of the world is darnel. Now, a tear looks just like or resembles wheat. So, this primary teaching here is, is not just, you know, for the whole world out there. This teaching here is the kingdom of heaven. It deals with the church realm right now. And he's trying, are y'all awake? <laughs> he's trying to show you here that what we have is people who look like or resemble real Christians. Because tares or dar darnell look like wheat. The only difference between a darnell and a wheat is the fruit they produce. They look the same. They look identical. And so what we have is people who resemble church people. And then we have the real spiritual seed of God in the earth. We've got people who are professors, Darnell. And then we've got people who are in the kingdom of God, the wheat. And the difference is the fruit that they produce. Okay. Now, what is the difference between the Darnell and the Not it's, it's the fruit, yes. But what happens is... Is in a field, a farmer would have wheat and he would have tares. Division. Say division. Just like the second church deals with division. What would happen is this the wheat would grow tall and strong and it would begin to produce wheat. And as the golden grain began to mature, the heads of the golden grain the wheat would bow down say bow down 
but the tares which resembled the wheat are called bastard wheat. Farmers called them bastard wheat. They are false. And these tares would grow up. They look like church members. But unlike the golden grain that bows its head down when it's mature, the, the darnel or the bastard wheat grows real straight. And in its head, the fruit that is there is hard. So it's the hard-headed fruit that don't bow down. But those who are really God's people bow down. They humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. But there are people who sit in churches who look like Christians. They resemble the wheat. But they are prideful and they are hard-headed. And they refuse to bow down. And it is those that will be burned in the judgment of God. But it's the wheat that will be brought into his barn. So today as we look at this, are you the seed of God, the spiritual seed of God in the kingdom of heaven? Or are you the earthly seed of God that just professes? Serious, very, very serious. So there's a division here. We've got two seeds. Now notice he says this. Verse 26. But... Uh, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? Where did this bastard wheat come from? Where do these people who look like the sons of God come from? But they're really not the sons of God. They are illegitimate. They say they're Jews, but they are not. They say they are of the church, but they are not of the church. He said, where'd they come from? And so, he said unto them, an enemy had done this. So now, we're not just talking about the word of God when we talk about the seed. We're talking about what the word produces. The word produces children of God, or the sperma, the word of God, the seed of God that sowed, produces children of God. But the devil has his synagogue, the devil has his church within the church, and it is the seed or the sperma of the serpent. And they're Darnell. Hello. The Bible says, an enemy had done this. The, th the servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? Right. Amen. You, you, you see what I'm, we're trying to show you here? There's a lot of people that think just because their house is large, uh, just because they, they, their denominational system is big, that it's got to be God. God's trying to show you that's not true. If it, and I hear people say, well, if, it, if they weren't preaching the truth, why does God allow them to continue? Because they are tares that are allowed to continue to grow. And what you have in this hour is you have the true church of Jesus rising up into maturity. And that maturity is going to 
bring forth a manifestation of Jesus, the kingdom of God in the earth. But at the same time, you have the maturing of the tares. You have growth among the tares. And God's going to destroy that because it is a bastard church system. God isn't even in the house. The power of God's not there. The spirit of God is not there. And all they have is form and ceremony. But God's letting both of them go together at the same time. He's not uprooting them right now. So you can't go by the outward show. See, we've had recently people come in and get baptized in Jesus' name and get the Holy Ghost in this place. And go back to an, a, a false system of religion. Because it's socially acceptable. Okay? And they got programs, and I'm not preaching against programs. What it ultimately comes down is the seed of God, the seed of God, the spiritual seed of God, God's people in the earth. And, uh, friend, I just want you to know today that both of them are growing together and both of them are maturing right now. And the true church is maturing for a harvest to be taken out of the earth at the end of the age. But the other one is going to be destroyed by fire. And this time when the Lord takes the true church to harvest is not pre-tribulational. And I'm going to prove it to you today. It's post-tribulational. That's why God is warning the church in Smyrna. I'm going to prove it to you again today. I'm glad I know him, don't you? <laughs> See, Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. You cannot enter into the What? kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and so we've got tares here who have not really been born again so they're bastard seed now watch this okay listen very carefully please look at uh, verse 29 but he said nay lest while you gather up the tares you root up also the wheat with them let both grow together until the what harvest and in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat in my barns. Are you here? So what they would do in that, in, if you were a farmer, you would go out and as you were in the field to bring in the harvest, you would go in the field you would gather the good grain, the wheat, bind them together, okay? At the same time, you notice there's a bunch of tares in the field. And at that time, you would gather the tares and bind them together. Say with me, separation. Say with me, division. Say spiritual seed, earthly seed. Got it? The tares of the earth, they're the natural. The wheat is what? The spiritual. So we have the separation taking place here. The division taking place here between the two seeds. Now the first thing that the farmer would do would separate them. Gather the wheat together. Put them in bundles. Gather the tares. Put them in bundles. Okay. You with me? He would then take. Listen. He would then take the good grain. And he would put it into the barn. And after he put the good grain into the barn, then he would set the whole field on fire 
and burn up all the tares that are in that field, but the whole field or the whole world is consumed by fire. Now hang with that. Listen. Watch this. No wonder Jesus said, He that overcomes shall not be heard of the second death in Revelation 2. When you talk about the end of the age, then Jesus is going to explain that to us in the same chapter of 13th chapter of Matthew. He explains this parable. Let's start with verse 38. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. So when is all this going to happen? When is God going to take his wheat, put it in the barn, and then burn up the tares? At harvest time. When is harvest time? At the end of the age. When is the end of the age? The end of the age is the day of the Lord. It's after the tribulation period when he gathers his elect into his barn. Remember we talked about the day of the Lord? What does it mean? It means salvation for the wheat. Salvation for the righteous. But judgment for the wicked. And it happens at the same time. It happens at Matthew 24 verse 3. Matthew 24 3. The disciples asked the Lord. What shall be the sign of thy parousia or thy coming? And the end of the age. And so the end of the age is connected with the parousia. And the parousia is when the rapture of the church takes place. And 2 Thessalonians 2.8 tells you that's also the time when he burns up the Antichrist. It's the same event. And it's connected with the day of the Lord. So the end of the age is when he perusias or he comes back at the end of the tribulation period, saves the wheat, gathers the elect into his barn, but then burns up or judges the wicked. It's the day of the Lord when you talk about the end of the age. And I'm going to prove it to you. You're looking at me with that funny look. So I'm going to prove it to you. Yeah, I realize you're not going to get this in most churches, but I'm here. I've been called by God to preach the Word of God to you, not to soothe your or tickle your ears. He goes on, he says this, the, verse 40, Therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out his kingdom, of his kingdom, all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Just like he said to the second church, he says to the second kingdom parable listeners, he that hath an ear, let him hear. To the second church, he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. There's a division. There's the true seed and the false seed. The heavenly seed and the earthly seed. The enemy that sows the false, the tares, and the, the good seed uh, is the kingdom of God. The people that are in the kingdom of God, the true spiritual seed. You got the point. And there's going to be a harvest, and it's connected with the end of the age. Matthew 24. 
Let me show you when the end of the age is. Matthew 24 and verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy parousia? The event when you, your second coming. What is the sign of your parousia? Your second coming. And of the end of the age. The end of the age is connected with his second coming after the tribulation period. And so that's when the harvest takes place. The good are taken into his barn in salvation. But the wicked are burned up by fire. So the end of the age is the day of the Lord. It's connected with his second coming. You got it? Okay, let's go to 2 Peter then. 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3. And by the way, I'm not going to try to be extensive on this part of it today because I've already taught to you all the words that, that pertain to the coming of the Lord. I've already taught you the lesson on the day of the Lord. So I don't have time to go back and reteach all of that. But take everything you've been taught about the day of the Lord and what that means and when it happened and apply it to this teaching as far as the timing of when it's going to happen. But just for your sake, let's uh, go over to 2 Peter 3. And we'll look at some parallels here. So what do we have in the 13th chapter of Matthew? Then we have the separation of the two seeds. We have the gathering of the righteous into his barn. And we have the destruction of the wicked by fire. And it's connected with his parousia or the end of the age. You got that with me so far? In 2 Peter 3. Since you put me in a teaching mode, that's what I'm going to do. Praise the Lord. Let's look at verse 4 and saying, where is the promise? Okay, verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. And saying, where is the promise of his parousia, his coming. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of by the word of God. The heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Now watch this. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire. Say fire. There's that destruction by fire. Against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Did you get that? But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slacking concerning his promise as some men Count slackness. So this is connected with his coming, his parousia, the judgment of the world. Okay. But he's long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, thank God, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, it's the same time as the end of the age, will come as a thief in the night. It doesn't say that he's going to come and rapture the church secretly out of here as a thief in the night. And then seven years later, there's going to be the day of the Lord. He says the day of the Lord is when he comes as a thief in the night. 
Now what's going to happen at the end of the age when he comes? The end of the age is the day of the Lord. What's going to happen? He's going to gather the wheat and judge the wicked. But the day of the Lord come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So it's connected with the day of the Lord. And it's post-tribulational. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? He said this. He said, based on what I just shared with you, how godly you ought to be walking, and how holy you ought to be walking, and how separated you ought to be unto God. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, or same thing, day of the Lord. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, here's the wheat. We, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth. We're into earth righteousness. There's the wheat. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blemish. And account that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. So, salvation to the righteous is the day of the Lord, and judgment to the wicked or a burning up of fire upon the wicked and so you take the parable of Matthew 13 you lay it over the second church of revelation and then you find out what the end of the age is by reading other scriptures it's connected with his parousia it's when he takes his church home and it's when he burns up the wicked in the earth and he burns the whole field up destroying all the tares in it do you understand Go to 1 Thessalonians. A couple more verses, and that's all I'm going to do on this. 1 Thessalonians 4.15. <clears throat> so again, we have another aspect, another way to look at the timing of events. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15. What does the Bible say there? Let me get there. 1 Thessalonians 4. Okay. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain unto the parousia of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So at the parousia, that's when the church is caught out. And at the parousia, that's when he judges by fire the wicked. And it is called the day of the Lord or the end of the age. You have to compare scripture with scripture. He goes on and he says this. Okay, y'all still there? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And then it talks about his coming and catching the church out. Now go to chapter 5. But at the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So we have the Taking of the people of God to the barns at his parousia, followed by the destruction of the wicked in the day of the Lord or at the end of the age. And it's all post-tribulational. What shall be the sign of thy parousia, thy coming, and the end of the age? It happens at the same time. Okay, you with me still? Go to 2 Thessalonians 2. Let me show it to you again. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering episanago. Gathering together up and unto him. That means to be gathered upward. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. As that the day of Christ or the day of the Lord is at hand. And it's connected with what? The parousia or the gathering of the church up. The day of the Lord. It's at the same time. And the day of the Lord is not the seven-year tribulation period. The day of the Lord is after the seven-year tribulation period. We've already proved that to you. Pre-tribulation people, and I was pre-trib for years, so I know what they teach. Pre-tribulation teachers tell you that the seven-year tribulation period is the day of the Lord. It is not. And I've proved it to you. Okay, so what we have, then we have the coming of the Lord, and our gathering together unto Him. Then we, t- and it, then we have associated with that the day of Christ, or the day of the Lord, okay? Let no man deceive you by any means that that day, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Okay, so the parousia, he gathers his elect into his barn, right? It is connected with the day of the Lord, the end of the age, which is post-tribulational. All right, you with me here? And I'd have to go back to Matthew 24 to give that to you, but, you know, you just have to go back and restudy what I've already taught you. But notice this in verse 8. And then shall the wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his parousia. So the catching of the church and the destruction of the Antichrist happens at the same time. If it were pre-tribulational, it could not happen at the same time. So just as the Lord says, he's going to gather his wheat into his barn, and he's going to gather the tares to be burned. It's connected with the end of the age, the day of the Lord, and his parousia. It's all post-tribulational. And that's exactly the way the Lord lays it out. Okay, now, let's, let me, I got that done. Praise the Lord. So let's uh, go back to Revelation to then in this church and I'm going to close I got just a few minutes to cover a lot of territory but Revelation 2 are you there again it depicts the same thing two seeds natural seed and spiritual seed he says verse 9 I know thy works tribulation poverty but thou art rich I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not but are the synagogue of Satan two seeds Synagogue of Satan, tares. The wheat, God's people. And he's talking to the church. And he says, you're going to have to overcome. And you're going to have to be faithful unto death. And if you are, you'll not be hurt of the second death. Which is the lake of fire. See how it's all connected? We have division in the kingdom parable. The second parable Jesus gave. And we have division in the second church of the book of Revelation. It's connected. And it's a warning to you. And it's a warning to me. It's because God loves you and he doesn't want you to be lost. Because whenever the church goes through that time called the tribulation period, so many people are going to be slaughtered. You know why they're going to be slaughtered? Because they've been taught false doctrine. And when the pressure and the persecution comes, and they're going to be tested and tried for 10 days. They're going to be like the unfaithful servant that says, where is the promise of his coming? My Lord delays his coming. No, he didn't delay it. You just didn't understand when it was going to happen. Okay. 
So we talked about the second church and the second kingdom parable, how they parallel. Let's talk about the feast, Passover. Passover lays over Revelation 2 and 3. Passover is connected to tabernacles, and Passover is a harvest or the time of sowing of seed for harvest. All the feasts of Israel were connected with harvest time. And Passover is connected to the finished work where Jesus fell into the ground and died. And then he came up. You with me here? And that Passover season is connected to tabernacles, which is the kingdom age. And what does the Lord do in these churches? He goes as a Passover lamb, trying to show them the finished work. Because people want to die. You want to die to the old man. You're looking for a way to die to the old man. And so the Lord comes in here to these churches and he says, I am he which what? Was dead, but is alive and live forevermore. So he shows them the finished work and he shows you how to die. And if you will participate in his dying, you will not have to die. If you will let that finished work of the cross, his death, be your death. And let it fulfill its purpose in your life, which is to kill the old Adam. Then you will not be heard of the second death. But if you don't let the finished work consume the old Adam and kill the old man. And if you don't identify yourself with his death. Then what's going to happen is the fires of hell are, are going, listen, are going to consume the maggot. And the maggot in the Bible is the old Adam. It's where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. So to the rich man in hell, you did not let your maggot die. You didn't go to the cross as a natural Jew. And because of that now, the, hells of, the fires of hell are now burning the maggot, but the maggot won't die. You want it to die, but it won't die. The only way you're ever going to die is when you go to the cross and understand that your, your death and your killing was at the cross so he walks through the churches here and shows them the place of their dying and then promises them a crown of life and a crown of life a crown is a new way of thinking you got to get a new way of thinking you got to see the finished work of the cross if you're going to have the crown of life and the crown of life is connected to the throne. It's the ark of God there. That's a most holy place promise. And the way you get in the most holy place where the ark, the throne is, is by the work of the altar down there. And they're connected. That's why he walks through there and says, I am he that was dead and is alive and will live forevermore. Praise God. Give God some praise. You're either going to let the revelation of the finished work consume yourself. I'm talking about your ego. I'm talking about your old man. Or it will be consumed in the lake of fire. I made up my mind to get a revelation of Jesus. I made up my mind to get a new way of thinking. I made up my mind to get the crown of life. I made up my mind I'm going to die. I'm going to let this flesh die. So that he can live through me and manifest himself through me. I'm going to bow my head to him. I'm not going to be full of pride and arrogance and lift up my head and refuse to bow as a tear does. Hallelujah. How many believe the word of the Lord today? And 
so he goes through there in that, that feast Passover. And I'm trying to show you how the seven feasts now lay over here. He walks in there, Passover, says, I am the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. I died, but I'm alive forevermore. And you might be cast into persecution. And you might be cast into prison. But be thou faithful unto death. And I'll give you a crown of life. He that overcomes will not be hurt of the second death. You won't burn in the lake of fire. Because you overcame. And how did you overcome? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their life unto the death. I'm telling you, God's in this house right now talking to you, trying to wake you up. He don't want you to be a tear burned up in those days. He wants you to be the awesome harvest of God taken into his barn. And there's nevertheless in all of us, but to each one of these churches, he says, this is who I am. And this is how the job gets done inside. Of, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Now, having said that, that covers the second parable. That co covers the feast of God, Passover. He also walks in there connected with Passover with unleavened bread. And he gets rid of all the stuff out of the church that doesn't belong there. It is not God so much adding to his church as it is he taking away what is hindering his appearing. He's taking stuff out of you. He's getting rid of sin out of you. He's getting the devil out of you. He's getting the flesh out of you. He doesn't have to add to you. It is finished. It's finished. But what he does is, by the revelation of that finished work, he's going in there and he's getting stuff out of the churches. He's getting the leaven out of the churches. He's getting the tares out of the place. He's getting false priesthood out of the way. So that he can be seen in a church. And we've all got nevertheless inside of us. But by the time you get the end of the book, because you've got a revelation of his hanging. There's now a pure river that flows from the throne of God. And there's a beautiful garden paradise that's located there. And that's the feast. Now, if you go back to the second day of creation, because there's seven days in creation, just like you have seven feasts and seven churches in Revelation and seven Pauline epistles and seven feasts, you've got seven days of creation. And you know what happened on the second day of creation? Division! And you know what the division was? The division was between the earthly seed and the heavenly seed. God said, I'm going to put a firmament in the midst of the waters above and the waters beneath. He said, there's going to be a firmament. You know what the firmament is? It's Jesus lifted up on a cross in between heaven and earth. And the waters that are above the firmament and the waters that are below the firmament. You know who that is? Revelation 17 says that the waters are people. So what you have is the spiritual seed of God that have been born to God by the work of the cross. Which is the waters above the firmament. The waters beneath the firmament are the seed of the serpent or the synagogue of Satan. Who were never born again of the water and the spirit based on the work of the cross. Give God some praise. So that the second day lays over the second church here. Give God some praise.
And so we have his, his wheat and we have the tares. It's all through these. Ever seven lays on ever seven. Ever one lays on ever one. Ever two lays on ever two. Ever three lays on ever three. Ever four lays on ever four. Ever five ever lay, lays on ever five. Ever six on ever six. Ever seven on ever seven. Just go through the Bible and just start laying it down like a transparency on top, one upon another. Because God has a church. He's got a remnant. And he doesn't want you to be ignorant. He wants you to walk in kingdom operation and kingdom purpose manifesting the king in this earth realm. Give God some praise. Do you love him today? I said, do you love him today? Then give him praise today. He loves you today. And to everybody is not given the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, there were many men, many prophets that desired to understand the mysteries of the kingdom that you're receiving. But they didn't have them. They didn't hear them. And church, you are very blessed people today because you are hearing the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And you are finding out the timing of events so that you will not be slaughtered. And so you'll understand how to overcome and how to enter into the paradise of God and enter into the life of God. No matter what you go through, He is my Savior. He died for me on the cross. Give Him praise. And next week we'll get into the third church, the church of Pergamos. And we'll show you that the church of Pergamos, yes, it's a church back in history, but it's linked to his parousia. The warning he gives to that church is linked to his parousia, which means what he says to that church is a warning to you. And it's a warning to me. And we're going to find out what he says to the church of, of Pergamos next week. And I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what the suffering is, the persecution. I'm telling you, it's intensifying. It's increasing. You've got the, the seed of the serpent, and you've got the seed of God, and they're maturing at the same time. And there's great conflict and great persecution and great division that's taking place in this hour. But I don't care what you're going through. If you can just get a revelation that you are the new creation of God, and really what the book of Revelation is, is God doing a decreation. One last thing I need to share with you is the, the period of time in history that this covers is the patriarchs. The first church covered paradise section when, Abraham, when they were in the garden, when Adam and Eve were in the garden. But this one, number two, covers the patriarch section. And isn't it interesting that we find people in prison in this church isn't it interesting that the patriarch section, we find a man by the name of Joseph in prison. And isn't it also interesting that in his sack, the sack of Benjamin, he placed a cup and the cup is empty and it's linked to the finished work. It is finished. He already drank the cup. And this church parallels the patriarch history. I don't have time to get into all of that, but that's another, another aspect of the seven churches as they lay out over history. Just get a hold of the cup that's been emptied for you. You don't have to take his wrath. You don't have to experience his wrath. 
You don't have to experience his fiery judgment to destruction. If you can just get an understanding of his death. I'm he that was dead and is alive. And take that cup and say, thank you, Lord, for drinking that cup for me. It's the cup of the king in Benjamin's sack. And he drank it for you. So no matter what you go through, you know what that means for you? A deeper relationship with him. A promise that you won't be hurt by the second death. A promise that you won't be in the lake of fire. To a people who have overcome. By the blood of the lamb. The empty cup. And they love not their lives unto the death. They've got a revelation of Jesus. They've got a revelation of his hanging. And God's inviting the church to come out of the second dimension into the most holy place. And understand he's king of kings and lord of lords. Give God praise. Lift up your hands and worship him right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for your spirit. You are holy today. Lord, throughout this congregation today of adults and this adult class and many other adults in the back, Sunday school teachers and children and youth in the back today, I pray, Father God, that we could put the Word of God inside of a people who would grow up and become the seed of God, the kingdom of God in this earth. God, everybody that's present in this house, let us all take the Word of God that's gone forth and let us act upon it. Let us obey the Word. Let us prepare to meet our God, forsaking false religious systems. And coming into the kingdom of God, preparing ourselves for the harvest that will take place at the end of the age. We are a blessed people today, Jesus, because we have life. We are blessed today, God, for you are protecting us and providing for us. And thank you for the power to overcome. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. We'll come back tonight, and we'll preach the word of the Lord again to you tonight. Amen. But I tell you, as we get into the depth of God's word, it is so, so powerful. It is so awesome to see how everything he ever said is to prepare a beautiful bride for himself. And you are that people. Continue to walk with him. Continue to overcome, no matter what you suffer, no matter what you go through. Stay close to Jesus. Be in relationship with him, and everything's going to be okay. He overcame death, and because he did, I can face tomorrow. So I'm not afraid. You can turn the cameras off, by the way. Yeah, I'm through. Hallelujah. <laughs>